Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Emmy Shafe Johnson and Morgan J. Ingram. Emmy is a speaker and senior director of global sales development at Zero Fox. And Morgan is host of the SDR Chronicles, twice voted LinkedIn top sales voice and director of sales execution and evolution at J. Barrow's Sales Training. And we're going to be talking about today, how do you find your next superstar seller or role? We're going to be discussing is sales experience always a good thing? What else is important to showcase or look for when applying or recruiting? Top traits needed to be successful as we evolve in sales and advice for newly promoted leaders on how to build credibility and relationships within your team. So if you're looking to develop your team or grow it or wanting to find your next sales role that's right for you, along with advice on how to establish yourself as a new sales leader, then this episode is for you. Sit back and enjoy. Emmy and Morgan, welcome. How are we doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Doing good. I'm back, guys. So here <laughs> <Yeah>. I am. <laughs> yeah, you are. Third time. <laughs> Third time. Thank you again, Morgan, for coming back on Not Another Sales Podcast. And thanks, Emmy, for your, your debut appearance. Debut. <laughs> so for people that are tuning in, and this might apply more to Emmy than to Morgan, just because he's been on twice, uh, it'd be great to give them some context as to a bit of your background and, and who you are. So Emmy, if you can kick us off, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. Um, Emmy Johnson, I'm the senior director of global business development at a company called Zero Fox. Um, and so just a little bit about what we do. It's We're a cybersecurity company, but we're not a traditional security tool. So we look for threats outside of your network. So like outside of your firewall on places like social media, app stores, collaboration platforms, um, domain registrars, all these threats that are now like living in other places. So that what used to happen in like email, for example, um, the actors are taking the same tactics outside. So for example, like on LinkedIn, it's really easy to impersonate like a CEO. You just copy their profile and for whatever reason, it's like, Oh, I know that guy. I like that picture. Um, and you click and follow. And, um, it's very easy to gain traction really quickly, as you know. Um, and then it, once it gains legitimacy, they can easily post something like, Hey, we look, get this new round of funding we got or great news about the company and then people click on it and it's a phishing link that has access to your computer or your credentials or stuff. So Xerofox is really looking for those, those threats that live like outside your firewall that some kind, sometimes security um, professionals aren't aware of. Mm. Great. Great. Thank you. And Morgan. So um, Morgan Ingram, <laughs> Uh, director of Sales Execution Evolution at JB Sales, where I focus on prospecting training. I've trained Emmy's team, so <laughs> shout out to Emmy over there. And making sure that people are prospected through the noise. And that's through video selling, cold calling, emailing, unique ways to convert those opportunities. We work with a lot of fast-growing startups and also companies that you all know as a sales source in the Googles of the world. And then also on top of that is I have a YouTube channel, host of the SDR Chronicles. I post on there. Not as frequently as I used to, but there's still content that's coming out. And that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. I'm excited to be here again. Great. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> it's almost like you've said that two times before. I yeah. think it's a bit different every time, actually. Something new. Obviously, got breakfast in my... I, I evolve it every time. Yeah. You know, because I'm evolving myself, right? So it can't be the same thing, right? Otherwise, yeah. then you wouldn't bring me back, so... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly well you know thanks thanks again both for joining me and uh you know one of the things that i've started with the the podcast recently is is dissecting initially some some sales myths or thoughts or kind of 
throwaway comments and statements that have kind of maybe been ingrained in the world of sales and, and maybe through miscommunication been misunderstood or are just a bit outdated. And when we were talking about this beforehand, one of the things I found quite interesting talking to, to Emmy as well was about this concept of when you're looking to bring new people into your business, like new hires, you have a CV and, and our default setting is often to look at sales experiences, like what they've done to get where they are now. Like that's it, unconsciously or consciously, sometimes we base it off of that. And I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether that is the right approach and if it is predominantly sales experience or what else you should be looking for. And, and if it is something else, how do you actually find that during an interview process really so emmy what are your what are your thoughts on that yeah um it is definitely something that it's easy to fall into because obviously if you have sales experience and you can say were you successful in this past roles but particularly in the sales development role because we get a lot of what i call like freshies like right out of college they don't have any other experience which is a blessing and a curse so um we kind of have both so we have some people who have sales experience that are maybe like coming back to the SDR role or this or they've been in SDR before um but when it comes to people like straight out of college they're very moldable obviously like they don't have any experience so they don't have like bad habits or, you know, you can teach them your way. And I think as long as you have a good playbook um, and something for them to follow, they're coachable. Like, I think that's the most important thing. Um, obviously having prior sales experience is, is helpful because like, again, like I said, you can look at how they they performed in the past and say, well, you've been successful. So you sh in theory should be successful here. Um, but a lot of times like, you know, I, there's plenty of people who don't have sales experience that make great salespeople. Um, like I have someone on my team right now who came from a very like non-traditional background. He worked in industries, um, in the restaurant industry for a long time. Um, and he went to school and studied Spanish. He was actually like a translator in the courts. Um, and he was a referral from someone else on my team. And he was like, just talk to him. He's not like, if you look at his resume and he, funny enough, we joke about this, like he had this like 13 page resume because he's never like worked in the business world before. Yeah. Um, but the guy, on my team was like, just talk to him. You'll know what I mean. Like, I think he's going to be great. And he's been wildly successful, partly because when I interview him, I did understand exactly why. Oh, I get it. Like he's super smart, but he was able to take his restaurant experience, for example, and translate that into why he would be successful in sales, why that was like selling. Like he would say, we would have specials and we'd have to upsell them or we, he, would, he could translate what he was doing into a sales role. And I think that's really important. And then even his translating experience, the fact that he would have to um, really take things literally that um, to translate it like exactly like they were saying, um, that comes across really well in sales because he active listens better than a lot of people. So I don't necessarily think that you need sales experience, but I think when you're interviewing and, you know, we all talk about like interview scorecards and having them, I think it's really important to define like what criteria you look for in a candidate and make sure you're asking competency-based questions to see if they actually have those skills. Like, you know, I, I want someone who's like, who's coachable or an adaptable and like, you know, obviously Zero Fox is, a very fast growing company. So I need someone who's, who's able to weather change all the time and, and be okay with it. Not like freak out every time there's change. So stuff like that, I think is important. And I know Chris, you and I talked about the whole, like the old adage of like athletes make really good salespeople. I am an athlete. I was a vision one athlete. And so I like, and don't like that analogy um, because there's certainly plenty of people who are not athletes who make great salespeople and they're, and vice versa. Um, I, I know some of my teammates, I would be like, you should not be in sales for sure. <laughs> they were great athletes. Um, <laughs> but I think some of the things that make an athlete, a good athlete translate well to sales, like being coachable and being used to have hearing and taking critical feedback and like being stacked ranked against your peers and your teammates, like those things translate well to sales. So I get like that whole thing. Mm. What do you think, Morgan? Yeah. So I'm in alignment with you on the prior sales experience. However, where most people are like, well, Morgan, that I don't know about that. As I say, I don't like people who have previous SDR experience. Tell me about that. And so, and so what we found out is when I hired 
SDRs. We found the people that were the most successful were people that were either coming right out of college, like like myself. So I, I definitely have a bias there. I always lean on those people because that's where I saw success. And the people coming from other industries, like hospitality. We got someone who was a teacher. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that. I'll touch on like why that's important. And we also got someone from finance. You know, we got someone from that was doing car sales, you know, so there's different things that they yeah, come for from. sure. Even the reason I don't like previous SDR experience and why I never saw it pan out in our organization. And again, it could pan out in yours. I'm not saying this is the silver bullet here is that I, I didn't know if they were ready to make another commitment to an SDR role. So if you've been an SDR for your year and you, okay, now you got to be an SDR again and you won't get promoted for another 15 months. I don't know where your headspace is on that. I can't really tell that in an interview. I can only see by your work. And we found out that a lot of people that were previous SDRs, they were doing SDR hopping because they always blamed the organization and they never took time for themselves to to build up their skills. And so that's why when I look at a previous SDR and I see you're an SDR at two other organizations, I immediately have a yellow flag. And I'm like, "Hmm, okay, like you've been an SDR at two organizations and now you're hopping to another one just because you know it's fast growing so that you can just pass this role and become an AE. You have to master the SDR role before you even move on to an AE role because you've got to learn how to prospect, especially now in this environment where that's going to be more of a requirement than it was before. And so that for me was always a yellow flag of previous yeah. SDR experience. However, yeah. previous sales experience I'm all about because – I want them to be able to have a conversation and they'll want to be want them to understand that, hey, this is obviously closing for meetings. However, in some organizations, you have to do a discovery or a qualification. So that probably is going to be a requirement, especially on some ends where the product is more technical. And so from that perspective, I always look to, for previous sales experience. However, previous SDR experience is where I had the yellow flag. And then we found our most successful reps, ironically enough, came from insurance. Uh, our top rep had... 200% of quota and he came from insurance because he was used to making so many calls. And now we gave him a product that he could talk about. And also at the same time, it wasn't as grueling as insurance sales is. And so yeah. that's what we found as well. And one thing I want to add that Emmy said is moldable. I'd like people that had no sales experience because I could mold them into something yeah. great. And what we always based our interviews on was skill versus will. So we looked for high will and low skill because if you have high energy, you have a great work ethic, but you don't know anything else, that means that we can mold you in a way that can get you to great skill and you don't have bad habits that we have to uncover and then re- and then give you something new. And so that's my perspective on hiring and making sure you have the right people. Yeah, that's really, really um. I think the same way about like previous SDR experience. I think a lot of it depends because it's like a, I like you, yellow flag. It's a yellow flag. It's not a red flag. Yeah, it's not a red Uh, flag. It's a yellow flag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'd see that too, especially I think I look at like the time and see if it's Mm -hmm. been like a year or two. Okay. But if they've had like multiple SDR roles and have been doing it for a while, I really like to drill into that because like to your point about, are you just looking at this thinking you're going to get into an S or an AE role really fast and you don't really care? Um, or why weren't you promoted in those other roles? Like that's, you know, that's kind of something I drill into or to find out like there are some people who are like, I like to call them like career SDRs. That's yep. fine. Like if you just want to make a career out of this because you're really good at it, you know, me and the managers joke sometimes about like, cause we all were AEs before. Um, and so obviously the SDR role is hard. It's really challenging, but we joke sometimes like, I don't know, maybe if you like paid me really well to go back and all I had to do was set meetings, I didn't have to like run them or close anything. Like maybe that's not that bad, but I don't think. So again, <laughs> I think if it's like some people want to be SDRs for life or for their career and make a career out of it, then sure. But to your point, it's really like drilling into that to see like, are you just job hopping? Cause you think this is going to be a quick way to get into an SDR or an AE role. Excuse me. Absolutely. And, and, and that career SDR are a rare breed too. So oh, if, you, if you find them, you want to hang on to them, right? Unicorns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Massive unicorns. Massive. Unicorns. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I totally aligned with your points there because, you know, sometimes you see applications and people looking for them and they'll say, oh, we want three to four years of sales experience. But that's the perception that experience is a good thing, always a good thing. Right. It, it, it isn't always a good thing. And it's not just down to whether someone was successful. Sometimes they might have been impacted by the kind of culture or the bigger things within their previous yeah. role that, that they could bring with them, either like subconsciously, that could not just impact their development and their success but also the wider team and I think it's important to kind of like weed that out a bit and and not just find out how successful they were but how successful people were around them and and what they could gain and what they did gain from that because I think that's important when you are bringing people in to a climate where they're they're not just going to be impacting themselves they can have a knock-on effect to to everyone else as well Agreed. I actually yep. have a question for you guys around, um, cause I, I agree with you Morgan about like bringing people out and right out of uh, school that are moldable. Um, one of the things I've found that's, um, been a challenge with that though, cause there's plenty of people like right out of school that are like the best SDRs and, and, and progress their careers in sales because of that. And they're super coachable and like they have great work ethic, but they are very green. And so, there's something to be said for that. And that's kind of been one of the things and I would love if you guys have any advice about this is one of the things that we say to move to an AE role, for example, you kind of have to have some sales acumen and that's really hard to teach someone. It's particularly like they get some of it in, in the SDR role, for example, but maybe not enough at times. And so it's very hard. So we'll say, Hey, you know, you should read these books or listen to this podcast or, you know, um, here's a training that we think you should do. But again, they might not take it very seriously. I remember back in the day when I first started my career and I worked at Aerotech, they used to make everybody read the book, how to win friends and influence people. And I remember being like 23 or however old I was and being like, this is stupid. It's a great book, by the way. But like <laughs> yeah. at the time, I was kind of like, this is dumb. And um, now, like, I can't get enough of that stuff. And I think partly it comes from just experience. Like you, you pick that stuff up as you go through your career. Um, and that's kind of been a challenge of like how to teach these people, like sales acumen, for example. And I, I use an example of myself being, I went, I did my MBA right after my undergrad and partly because I was coaching at the time and it was free and that was great. It was still an awesome experience, but I think had I gone back later after I had some work experience, it would be more applicable. Like the stuff I was learning then it was cool, but I didn't have anything any experience to compare it to, you know what I mean? Where now if I did it, I would be like, Oh my God, this is so great because I actually had this experience or that I did this in this scenario. What are you guys thoughts about, about that, about like teaching them kind of sales acumen or, or stuff that they would just get like learn over time. So it comes down to the questions that you ask in the interview to determine if that person's going to be open to learning how to build their acumen. So there's certain questions that we had in our interview process to figure that out. So one question that I would ask people is, hey, what book are you currently reading right now? And why did you choose that book? So if, first of all, if you're not reading a book, then I know that if I try to give you a resource or things of that nature, you're probably not going to do it. Also right. as well, I have to understand, are you going to lie to me and tell me that you have a book that you don't know about? I remember asking that question to someone, and they said, yeah, I'm reading a book. And I said, okay, cool. What book is it? And then they couldn't tell me what the book was or why they got it. And I was like, all right, well, we're definitely not going to hire you. So the whole <laughs> thing is that like asking that question that gets people to figure out what are they doing? How are they progressing? Asking people, who do you look up to outside of your family? Like I asked certain questions in the interview to figure out, are you going to be willing to be coachable and listen and read the resources that we give you. Also as well, we had a book club within our team to make sure people yeah, were too. reading as well. And then the one thing that we did that was helpful is it's up to the manager to coach and proactively help that rep build their acumen, obviously as they're new into it. However, what you can do is have an SDR AE mentorship program. So once you were 
five or six months into the role, you had an AE that you could pick as a mentor. And then now that person can teach you more of the acumen and the skill sets to be successful. So yeah, it definitely is a yellow flag because it's like, I don't know if they're going to have the acumen or the experience. However, what I do know is there's a system you can set up internally to make sure they do understand that. And by asking the right questions, by giving them an AE mentor, by giving them an SDR onboarding buddy, we did that as well, and yeah, allows we- for them to build their acumen faster so that yeah. they can start executing and see results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, yeah, you I love, I love, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I love everything that Morgan said there. You know, I love the buddy and the mentoring side of things. I think it's so important to kind of foster that that growth mindset within a business as well and and not just leave it up to the leaders to kind of be responsible because that way you're also being able to build leads for the future before they then get into a management role and then be like what do I do like (laughs) um, uh, one of the the things that I like to ask in an interview uh, and on top of what Morgan was saying was you know what was the last thing you learned how did you learn it and, and what have you benefited from it so actually getting them to reflect because it also tells me how they learn because if someone's not a reader, they might be watching, you know, more and more right. of this generation are watching YouTube videos to learn. But yep. it doesn't mean I would discredit them. It just means what did you get from that and how did you use it? So right. I think it's just understanding someone's thought process and the way in which they, they take information in. And then yeah. when they are in the role is I think the biggest thing, you know, the old Simon Sinek adage is starting with why, like why all of these resources are going to benefit them. Uh, yeah. as to what they're going to gain from it. But I suppose it comes down to as well of understanding their goals and what they're actually in it for. Like why yeah. are they in this role? Like where do they want to go? Because then once you get that, you can kind of help steer them towards, well, if you want to get here, you told me you want to be promoted in a year or you okay. told me you wanted to be a manager of in two. These are the things you're going to need to do. Like this is this is down to you, not down to me. Yeah, exactly. Like I always want someone who's like a student of the game, who's really like takes their career seriously and wants to learn and wants to get better on their own. And just to your point, Chris, like not waiting for their managers to like, you need to do this. You need to do that. Like, I think that's the, like being proactive and really seeking that stuff out. And I think that's hard to find, especially in the SDR world because they are young sometimes. And I think a lot of times they don't, um, they think like they look at the angle, like I want to be an AE or I want to do this. This is just a means to an ends for me. We're really like, okay, but you're not going to get promoted to an AE if you're not crushing it in this role. So how are you going to get better at this role? And so, you know, like when Morgan came and trained the team, we sent them like teasers, like of, of SDR Chronicle podcasts, you know, and we were like, you should listen to this stuff. But we were always saying like, Hey, like we do a book club or, you know, we, we give them sometimes like books or articles, but we also ask them to come like find something related to the SDR function. That's like really important that you should read and share with the team. Um, because that's important too, is like mastering this role before you go to the next one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say it's going back to what we were talking about earlier with the sales experience piece, would you say it's maybe sometimes a bit lazy for people to put on a, like a job resume, three years of sales experience and not get a bit more granular, as you mentioned, both of you mentioned around what skills you can pull from different industries and actually list maybe some of those things, or do you think it's down to the individual to kind of come up with that and make that link? I think it really depends on where the organization's at. So sometimes someone will put three years sales experience because maybe they've seen their reps that are SDRs. It hasn't worked out. Now, if we're talking about SDRs, I feel like putting no sales experience, like just not putting any years of sales experience there, like I would just take that out for my own preference because I've seen that when SDRs come in and they don't have sales experience that they still can be successful if it's an AE role, though, that's a different conversation where there will be some sales experience that's going to be required for you to close these deals, right? So that's where the difference comes into play. If we're like, we're talking about SDRs, though, I think you could you can you can do without the sales experience because there have been reps that have been successful without experience, and I'm speaking from my own experience and having no sales experience, right? So like yeah. that's where I'm that's where I'm coming from because I know it's possible because I did it. So that's, that's why my always going to be my perspective. However, I know some organizations, they may have seen the data and been like, yeah, we've hired people with no sales experience and none of them have panned out. So we're now we're going to put a criteria there. So I think it depends on the organization. However, I always lean towards let's put no sales experience. Let's have, let's have them come in the interview and show us what they got. Yeah. I think like 
I would love to see that on the resume. Like, like, is it like using the example of like working in a restaurant? Like, how does that translate? Now, some people at fresh out of school don't know necessarily to do that. Um, but that's okay. I think like that that's something you can ask in an interview um, and like ask those questions about like what they were doing and really kind of dig it at them if they don't offer it up um, and make sure that they're able to draw that correlation. Cause there is a lot in other, you know, other areas. We've actually had a lot of success, like Morgan said with insurance with recruiters, you know, because they want to, get into another industry, but they're used to making a ton of calls or used to talking to people. So, um, so anyway, but yeah, like I think in the interview, obviously I'd like to see on the resume, how, how it translates, if it's not like direct sales experience. Um, but I think if it's not on the resume, that's certainly something you can dig into on the interview. Mm. Yeah. I was uh, talking to Alfie Marsh, uh, head of US sales at Spendesk a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that their sales director started as an intern. Uh, he had he had zero experience and he came into the business and, awesome. and went all the way from there. And you kind of think sometimes that, like you say, it's important to have experience, but I think it's also, it's good for people to maybe start thinking creatively about, yeah. as you said, what does this experience bring? What are some of the negative connotations around it really? So we've, we've touched on the next thing I was curious about, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, actually, when you, when you mentioned what you're looking for from someone, but I'm curious to, to understand from your perspective, as we sort of evolve, particularly within the current climate at the moment with things changing and people being more remote and, you know, we don't know when we're going to get back to face to face. What are some of the, maybe like one or two top traits, habits or skills you think uh, someone as a, a successful salesperson is going to need, not just now, but as, as we evolve and as sales evolves in the future. So Emmy, if I start with you on that one. Um, sure. I mean, some of the things, like there's a million traits and I think it's really important to establish like what's most important for your organization or for you personally, for your team. Um, I did touch on this a little bit before, but I think for me anyway, like being, being coachable is really important or adaptable. Um, so again, like asking questions, you know, like what's the best advice you've ever received from a coach or a boss or a mentor. And why did that, that, advice resonate with you. Um, tell me about a time you were confused by the the direction or the whatever that, that you were given by a coach or mentor and what did you do in that scenario? Because we're trying to figure out like, did you ask for help? Like, like what did you do? Did you just like try to figure it out on your own? Um, but then like goal orientation just in general and, and self-motivation, those are things that are like really important to me that I would look for and that I think are important in sales in general. Like I think you need those kind of things um, to be successful. So, and it's not necessarily, like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you had sales experience, but just that you have those qualities, you know? Hmm. And from your perspective, Morgan, I think, I think being, being coachable is, is something I would definitely put in that in the top for sure. I think you have to be able to take information and execute on it. I had a, I had some reps that would be like, yeah, whatever, and wouldn't do it. And I'm like, what? Okay. Like, <laughs> you've never done this role before. I don't understand. So I think the big thing is like being coachable, being willing to try out new things and do that, which leads into one of the other things that I'm going to say is being curious. However, being a curious action taker. So when you're being curious and you have questions that you ask people, don't be like, oh, that was cool and not do it. Like, do it. Yeah. Because a lot sure. of people will be like, oh, that's interesting and not do it. And it's like, why did you ask me? So like, oh my God, that's like, like one of my biggest pet peeves, like in one-on-one when you give feedback yeah. to someone and they're like, oh, great idea. That's really smart. And then they don't go and apply it. Like that drives me crazy. Like, like crazy. What are you doing? Just tell me it wasn't something you want to do. I'd be completely right. cool with that. But don't say, oh, that's a great idea. And then you didn't do it. It's like, what in the world? So yeah, be a curious action taker. That's right. what will help you get so far ahead. I remember as a rep, I asked other reps what they were doing. And I took action off what they were doing and modified it to something I was more comfortable in. So make sure that you're doing that as a rep. If you're an SDR and then as a manager, that's something that you want to be looking out for. I think also on top of that, another trait that I look for is are 
they willing to be organized throughout their day? And I, there's like certain ways that you can ask like on organization because you can ask them, hey, how do they normally go about their day? How do they normally do things when they're in a, if they've been in a sales role, right? But I think that's a skill that I always look for to see if people are going to be successful is that they're, they're organized. They know what they're doing on a 30, 60, 90 minute time slots and they know when to get things done and they know when to take the breaks. And so I think that's something that can be learned over time. However, if someone's already equipped with the organization skills and they're taking curious action, that's going to be someone that you definitely want to work with. Obviously the other ones are working hard and things of that nature, but I think those two are really where it comes down to. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It's funny that you mentioned like being organized because there are some people who just need a little like push like okay here's here's an example of like a daily cadence or like operating rhythm you can try make it your own but here's one if they go and actually do it and try it cool i hate when people ask for those things but then don't actually do it <laughs> and like yeah. you're like well, wait a minute you just we just talked about this like you're having a struggle with staying focused and organized or blocking up times to make calls or send emails or whatever like we just gave, we just talked about this. We just gave it to you. Like, why aren't you doing it? And yeah. also you mentioned Morgan, like being curious. And, and I think some of my, some of the best reps I've had, or even some of the managers now that were reps before what they did that really set them apart was every time someone said a meeting or they heard a good phone call or whatever, they would ask that person, like, would you do, would you say, or they would, you know, go into Salesforce or whatever, and read the email that they sent, like, and listen to the calls and, and, and then make it their own, like put their own flavor on it if it didn't work for them. But like, they were so curious about why this other person had success. Let me yeah. see if I can replicate it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it links, I think it's nicely actually, Morgan, I think you did a post on LinkedIn a couple of, I think it was last week or two weeks ago about the thought leader. And rather than being a thought leader is being like based on action rather than just thoughts around things. And that really resonated with with me around you know so many people have got thoughts in this world of you know this is what we can do but how, how are you actually acting on it and and that stems all the way down into the world of sales and i think the problem that most people find is that they have this idea of perfection that when they get an idea of doing something they think it has to be perfect and therefore procrastination sets in versus what can i do to make it for me to be satisfied with it rather than to be perfect and i find that if you're able to just like do one little thing there and then I had a, a guest on a while ago, uh, Lauren Everts, who's in uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Skinny Confidential, she runs a brand. She said, mm-hmm. um, you know, whenever I've got an idea, I just think, what can I do there and then just to start it? I might not finish it, but what email can I send? What's something I can write down just to feel like I've, I've started it. So it doesn't feel like a big thing because there's this thing in our brain, the spotlight effect that we can kind of make it bigger deal than it is. And the longer we leave it, the more it feels like it's a bigger challenge than if we just done it straight away. It was so simple. It'd be like, you know, five minutes. But if you leave it for a week, it feels like this bigger thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what you brought up there, Chris, is something important. A lot of people are always looking for the sample size of someone else that's done it. So they're like, oh, what's the data with this technique in this region, with this industry and this persona, I'm like, yo, I have no idea. That's so granular and I don't know where to find that data. What I do know though is you can try this out. The worst case scenario is it doesn't work. And what most people are doing, it might not be working and it's probably, it might not be getting you meetings right now. And I've done things that have, that have not got me meetings as well. However, I'm willing to try it because the best case scenario is that it works and it's something that works at scale and it two, three X is my reply rate. Worst case scenario, you're already where you're at. The same numbers you have, the same process you have, and already might not even be scaling those meetings. So why would you not try out something new? And it's just taking action on that as well. So Chris, I'm, I'm definitely all about that point because I see that a lot. People are like, oh, well, yeah, the data is not here, so I'm not going to do it. And it's like, why not be the person that does it first? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. There's no silver bullet. We talk about that all the time. Like, you know, it'll be like, these are the best times to call. And then everyone calls at that time and then stops working like cold calling is dead. And everyone starts emailing. <laughs> like, the email reply, it's great to go down or like try this subject line. But it's like, there's no silver bullet in sales or else everyone would do it. Like, and it's constantly evolving and changing. Speaking of Morgan, what happened to that challenge that me and Dorsey gave you to FaceTime 
your prospect. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. The, the, did Kevin talk about this, Chris? Or did you? No, 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 I told Chris that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, about, the... like, how, can we, how can we change? But, like, things are evolving. Like, we need something new. I remember me and Kevin challenged you, but, like, you won't FaceTime your prospects. Cold FaceTime the prospects. <laughs> Cold FaceTime the prospects. So I have not done it yet. I I I don't even now I think it would That's probably even more that. it'd be more creepy to do it now. I think before <laughs> I may have been able to get with it, but now I'll do a cold FaceTime. Like you have to come in with so much confidence. Like oh my God. I, that to me kidding. is crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought about I thought about doing it. I think it might work for people that you have a relationship oh, with. Oh yeah, totally. It's like a totally. warm FaceTime and you're trying to like close a deal and you're like FaceTime and be like, hey, what's going on? Like that to me, I don't think anyone has ever done. If but you a cold FaceTime, that's pretty creepy. But that's I aggressive. Say, <laughs> I will say, the voice messages, like even you sometimes text me and use voice messages, but like when you told the, my team about like using voice messages in LinkedIn, they've been doing that more. And I think that that's like stands out a little bit than just writing a message. You know what I mean? So I think there's stuff like that that like get creative and, and try these different things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think people sometimes overthink their prospecting and that what leads to paralysis, analysis, right? So I always think about, all right, let me try this. If someone says it doesn't, they don't like it or it doesn't work, it's completely fine at the end of the day. However, I've seen the voice note to be massively successful for, you know, Emmy's team has done it. I have other teams that have done it as well. I myself do it. And it's an easier way to connect and it allows you to, display your confidence allows you to inflect your tone and people pay attention to that and it's also a pattern interrupt which is what i train about all the time like are you interrupting patterns or are you part of the pattern that everyone sees every single day so if you're part of the pattern everyone sees every single day it's the reason why you won't get meetings if you interrupt people's pattern do something different it's going to be like oh okay this person was very thoughtful in the way they did this let me let me go talk to that person which is why i think like video nowadays like is is because it is a pattern interrupt people aren't sending a ton of videos because they do take time for customizing them but they don't not only like put a face with the name but like to your point with the voice memos like you can express what you want in a different way than you did it would in an email be a little more personal personable um and i think like you should do those like i tell my team all the time i'm not saying you should do it to everybody because that would be, you know, it would take a lot of time. But like one-off emails or someone you've been really trying to get a hold of, like say, hey, Chris, like I'm reaching out to you specifically because X, Y, Z and and tailor it to them. Like that can really stand out. That's a pattern that interrupts me. Well, yeah. think, think about it this way. And it's all about math and formulas. So let's say if you did five personalized videos a day, you can do that in 45 minutes. Totally. That's 25 videos in a week. That's 100 videos a month. If you get a reply rate of 20%, that's 20 people that respond. And if you get at least half of those, that's 10 meetings. Bingo. That's way better than you sending out 1,000 emails and 1,000 phone calls. So if you just do – I'm not even saying do like 20 or 30 like, like I'll do. I'm saying do five. Yeah. Five personalized videos. That's not hard at all. Wake up early. Do five, and then you have a hundred you've done per month. That's twelve hundred videos for a year. Yeah, think yeah. about that. Like that's a that's a good amount of results that you have there. And so I think people overthink it, and they're like, "Oh man, I got to create like a hundred videos a day." It's like do five a day. Not that's, hard to do. I love your math. Who knew you were such a nerd? Finance. I'm a finance <laughs> major. <laughs> that's great, though. Like, that's really good. Like that's a really good point. Like five a day spread over time over a month or over a year it's not going to take you that much time but if you get a yield of like 20 percent, like that you know that's huge yeah and with those things like that as well people might think oh, it'll take me more time up front but versus you trying to get hold of that person like three or four exactly. calls two or three emails that will probably equate to more time than if you actually just invested it up front and, and did it as well I, I linked back to your voice message uh, comment, which I, I love, I use as well. I think I saw a post yesterday that you commented on, Morgan, where most people think it's Siri. 
um, still uh, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're not too yeah. sure it's actually a voice note. They think it's to ask a question, which is which is which is interesting because again, it's you know when you it stems back, I suppose, to a product or service is is never make the assumption that people know what it means. It's it's how you educate your audience around it. And I'm a big fan of of the pattern interrupt piece as well. It's something I talk a lot about. I did a talk around neuroselling on Monday, and and one of the biggest things that the brain looks for is contrast and how you can actually tell the difference between like someone and someone else um so for example my one like when i do a cold call i'll call them and say this is a sales call do you want to hang up and often people will people people will laugh like that <laughs> and they'll be like <laughs> depends what it's about i've 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 done one where it's like hi my name's morgan congrats this is a cold call <laughs> and people go like oh no so yeah i know that's awesome yeah because it just again it like it breaks the pattern it gets them to laugh and if someone can laugh you break that guard you kind of make it a bit more human but to your point as well emmy earlier where people are like where's the data where's everyone doing it? i think sometimes in sales like when something becomes best practice is the time to start looking elsewhere to do it because if everyone's doing it to your point morgan you're just getting lumped in with everyone else doing the same thing so it's time to change it up and kind of be ahead of the curve rather than just be at where the trend is yeah yeah, I couldn't agree more because I do think for a certain amount of time, those things work, like those best practices, but then everyone's going to start doing them and they don't become best practices anymore. They kind of become obsolete and it's time to try something else, you know? So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the other things I wanted to get your your thoughts on before we wrap things up was we talked about earlier around, you know, looking at people's goals and understanding where they want to be. And, and some people in sales do want to move into management. And the challenge that new sales leaders and managers face sometimes is that they go into a role and they're now working with their peers, but they're now responsible and managing them. And of course, you know, there's some challenges that come up with that. So, you know, I get asked this a lot of the times within businesses as well. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that for advice for new sales leaders and managers that have been promoted within. How do they build that relationship and ensure that, you know, they don't get confused with what their role is and, and maybe disrupt the kind of team that they 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 grew in, but are now um, challenged by. I'm Morgan. I'm sure you have thoughts on this because you did it. But I, you know, we talked about this a little bit, Chris. And I think part of it. I actually asked um, Colin, who's one of my managers right now, who recently got promoted into management, was a very successful SDR. And now he's managing SDRs, some of whom were his peers. And, you know, I had some thoughts, but I was curious to see like what he would say. And we're kind of, he said like already what I was thinking, which was he was already one of the reasons that he, I mean, he was so successful as an SDR for all the reasons we talked about. Like he was very curious. He was always asking like what people were doing. But the thing I think that made him stand out was he was almost putting himself in that next role already, whether it was management or AE, like AE, he was gaining that sales acumen. He was doing those things. If it was going to be management, he was sort of already managing, quote unquote, those people in that, like in team meetings, he was speaking up and he was always like participating or if people need help, he would be helpful. He was a mentor. He was a, you know, an onboarding buddy kind of person, but he would, people would go to him and ask for help. So I think the biggest thing was they already kind of respected him in that way. So when he became some of their like boss, it wasn't that weird of a transition because they already kind of looked at him in that light. And I think that was kind of what I was thinking. And I think, um, is something you need to, we need to talk as managers, like talk to them about like, what are your career aspirations? If it is to get into management, A, let's talk about what that time frame looks like for you, but also like what steps can you be taking now that you should, like knowing that you're potentially going to be their boss at some point, your peer's boss, like how do you get them to look at you in that way so that when it happens, it's not weird for them. So they mm. already have that respect for you because you're not only killing it in that role and you're succeeding. So they're like, wow, he, you know, he or she is already like at the top of leaderboard all the time. He's great in this role. We want, we want his feedback about how to do it, but also like 
standing up and participating and being proactive about like, hey, sending out, read this article, listen to this podcast, like, hey, I'm doing this for myself. You should do this too. Or like you see someone struggling and you're like, hey, let me help you. It looks like maybe you know, you're having a problem with this. Like, let me show you how I do it. I think some of those things are really like important. What do you think, Morgan? Those are all those things are important. And there's one thing that you mentioned that I, I want to drill into, which is having the person acknowledge where they want to go and look at what the responsibilities are for roles ahead. So you're, if you're in SCR, you're like, Hey, I want to be a VP of sales. So it's like, go talk to your VP of sales and ask them, hey, what are the three things that I can help you with right now based on the role that I'm in? And getting their perspective, getting their insights, because people are willing to share on how they got where they're at today and what you can do to get there. However, if you don't ask, you'll never know. And so as an SDR, I always thought about, hey, I'm thinking on a VP level mindset so that I can do the things as a leader. Leadership is not defined by the title, it's defined by your actions. So if you want to be a leader, start being a leader as a rep. But no one's stopping you. Like coach people proactively, help people out. I remember as an SDR, before I was even team lead, I was already giving people advice on, hey, this is how you make a cold call. Here's how you make videos. Here's how you set up your emails. So it's more so being proactive in asking for help because no one's going to come to you and tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, this is exactly what you need to do. You have to go seek that out. And also you have to think about being on the mindset of people that you're looking to become. So I'm always thinking about how can I be on a C-level mindset versus a director-level mindset. And those are two different things. So it's thinking about those things in a different way so that you can come prepared to the conversations, whether you are on route to getting promoted or you're talking to other people in your organization. These are things that you need to do. And so I'm, I'm exactly where in me is at to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. And it's all about asking for that feedback proactively and not just waiting around. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys like disagree with this, but in my opinion, it's never too early to have those like career aspiration conversations, not saying you're going to get promoted tomorrow. Obviously you need to master this role, but like what do you think you want to do next? Like, let's talk about it. It may change over time, but do you think you want to be an AE? Do you think you want to be a manager? Like, let's talk about that because that'll help us direct you kind of as managers to take that next step. Now, we're very clear and I'm very clear with all the reps, like your career path is completely up to you. It's completely up to you. One of the things we're, you're not going to get promoted into any role if you're not doing well in this role, unfortunately. You may make a great manager or a great like marketer or whatever, but no one's going to consider you for that next role if you're not doing well in this role. Because one of the things that, that everyone's going to look for is, were you able to figure it out? Even if it wasn't like the right role for you, were you able to figure it out and make it work to get promoted? So that's the first thing is like, you have to be successful. But let's talk about like what you want to do and let's and talk about some of those like things that are important to have in that next role so you can start like adding them to your repertoire. And that's like that's really important, I think. Mm. Yeah. And the one thing I'll add to that, I do I do agree with you to start having that conversation is when you have that conversation, present your documentation and your data of why you feel like you should go in that role because that will build a stronger case for you if they're like oh well you have a strong case let's move you to the next role so show like what meetings you've been scheduling show how you've led other people maybe projects that you've taken on in the organization these are also things that will stand out and show that you're a prepared professional yeah i think i think to add to all that as well when you are moving through it and looking to move into a manager role and, and you're not there yet is is being is showing the kind of modeling behavior of of when you don't succeed of when things do go south of when you are having a a bad day or a bad week and you've lost a big deal is how you react to that and how you respond to it if you're going to respond to it in a negative manner but then as soon as you get it into management you're going to come with this all seeing like all knowing kind of attitude people are going to be like well that wasn't you true that's yeah. really true yeah yeah well emmy and morgan you know it's been a it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your, your time and your, and your thoughts as well. Agreed. Thanks for having awesome. us. Thanks. Thanks for having me again, Chris. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and for people um, that, that are tuning into this and, and do want to sort of find out a bit more about or follow what some of the things you've talked about today, 
where's the best place to connect or, or find you? So Morgan, let's let's kick off with you and hopefully the muffins get a mention as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So best place to find me is on LinkedIn and connect with me there. Ask a question. I, I may be slower than now um, than I normally am because the LinkedIn inbox is terrible. I wish they would fix their function. So that's this is for LinkedIn to fix their inbox. It's terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> and also on top of that as well, as Chris mentioned, on Saturday at 11 a.m., I do a weekly Q&A. It's for an hour on Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 12. So if you want to come by and say what's up, definitely come. I, I will mimic. Um, I'm not the be- LinkedIn is probably the best to get me. I mean, it's just Emmy Johnson. Um but I'm not the best. I, I have to admit, I turned off my notifications because it's getting a little overwhelming. Um, and I'll get tagged in posts and stuff like that. So is and and like any other social network, although it's more like for business, it's very easy to get distracted by LinkedIn. So when I log on, I'll be like, let me just look for one thing. And then like two hours go by and I'm like, oh God. Yep. Um, so anyway, so if I don't respond right away, I will, I promise. Um, but sometimes I just, I can't, I can't go on as much as I, I intend to. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if either of you will get any uh, cold FaceTimes after this. Of people, I hope so. I, I, I love it. If someone did a cold FaceTime, I would have mad props. I would automatically take the meeting. Like, I have to. I have to. <laughs> Lastly, I will say, I have a lot of respect for, especially like what SDRs do outreach. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Um, so. I can't respond to every email. That would be a full time job, right? Like if I responded to every email or cold cold call that I get. Um, but if someone takes a lot of time and really stands out and does personalization, even if I, if, if I don't need or want what they're selling, I will absolutely respond. Cause I, I have so much appreciation for what they do and the hustle. Um, and I will be very honest with them. And I'll even say, look, I will take the meeting because I really appreciate like you doing what you did, but as long as you tell your AE, like I'm not in a place to buy right now, or like this is the situation, but like I do understand, or I've even said, I, sh- I should be careful about saying this publicly, but I've even said to SDRs, and you can, some of them will respond. Um, I've said, listen, if you can save this in your back pocket for a month where you're struggling and you need it to hit quota, I will take the meeting for you. Yeah. <laughs> now everyone's going to be hitting you up. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Change your name. <laughs> I know, yeah. Change the profile immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Emmy and Morgan, thank you again for joining me and for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey people, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.